Hello, everybody, and welcome into the Bible Reading Podcast, episode number 289. Our big Bible question of the day, does prayer for people and situations we've never seen actually work? Well, happy Lord's Day, friends. As always on Sunday, I'd like to invite you to join us today at 11 a.m. Pacific at VBC Salinas on Facebook. That's Victor Bravo Charlie Salinas, S-A-L-I-N-A-S, as we launch a brand new series on broken and tarnished crowns, life lessons for 2020 from kings and scoundrels. Uh, Our Sunday morning series at church have followed right along with our Bible readings for the year. So we are in 1 Kings for the next uh, few weeks, and 2 Kings, and then Chronicles after that. And we're going to be looking at some of these uh, great and terrible leaders of the people of God and some of the wonderful prophets that God sent to confront them. And we're going to learn how to live life in 2020 from what's in the Word of God about those kings and scoundrels and prophets. Well, today's Bible readings see us beginning a new book. Paul's letter to the Colossians, which is our focus chapter, Colossians 1, along with 1 Kings 14, Psalms 97 and 98, and Ezekiel 44. Now, when I was a kid, I went to a Christian school called Briarwood, and one of the great things about Briarwood was that it was a missionary sending church and a missionary supporting church. We had a missions emphasis week every year, and I heard directly from missionaries frequently going to church and school at Briarwood as an elementary student. They would come with their foreign Bibles and various items from the countries they serve. And I got to tell you, it absolutely fascinated me to be able to talk to missionaries from foreign lands and to hold items like cups, bowls, spoons, books, spears, whatever from foreign lands. It was so eye-opening and it hopefully gave me, even at a young age, more of a global perspective on the body of Christ as opposed to like a U.S.-centric viewpoint. As kids, we would often pray for those missionaries and pray for the countries they served in. Now, I was pretty much a child of the 80s, born in the 70s, but, you know, maybe coming to maturity in the 80s. And during that decade, and even the end of the 70s, we kids in America were repeatedly told that Africa, and Ethiopia in particular, was filled with starving children. And so many of us often prayed for them, like big general sort of prayers like, oh God, please help the starving kids of Africa. And we'd often pray that right before we ate our meals or something like that. Here's a big question for you. Are such prayers effective? Asked another way, does God hear those kinds of prayers and actually help in some way, for instance, the kids of Africa? Well, let's read our focus passage first, and then we're going to grapple with praying for those we've never seen or never met. Colossians chapter 1, verse 1 in the Christian Standard Bible. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints in Christ at Colossae, who are faithful brothers and sisters, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, for we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints because of the hope reserved for you in heaven. You've already heard about this hope in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. It is bearing fruit and growing all over the world, just as it has among you ever since the day you heard about it and came to truly appreciate God's grace. You learn this from Epaphras, our dearly loved fellow servant. 
He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, and he has told us about your love in the Spirit. For this reason also, since the day we heard this, we haven't stopped praying for you. We are asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding, so that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, joyfully giving thanks to the Father, who has enabled you to share in the saints' inheritance in the light. He has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. In him we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and by him all things hold together. He is also the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile everything to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated and hostile in your minds as you expressed in, as expressed in your evil actions, but now he has reconciled you by his physical body through his death to present you holy, faultless, and blameless before him. If indeed you remain grounded and steadfast in the faith and are not shifted away from the hope of the gospel that you have heard, the, this gospel has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and I, Paul, have become a servant of it. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for you, and I am completing in my flesh what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for his body, that is the church. I have become its servant, according to God's commission that was given to me for you, to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints, God wanted to make known among the Gentiles the glorious wealth of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We proclaim him, warning and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. I labor for this, striving with his strength that works powerfully within me. So first, I want to notice how Paul describes the Christians here. And by the way, in all of Colossians, he actually never uses the term Christian. Um, but according to Paul, a follower of Jesus, a saint, brother or sister in Christ, has faith in Christ Jesus, number one, and number two, has love for all of the saints. Boil it down, those are the distinctive and descriptive marks of being a follower of Jesus. Second, I want to note that the church in Colossae wasn't actually founded or planted by Paul. The church was planted by Epaphras. He shared the good news there, and it bore fruit. Paul had apparently never been there or seen or met the Colossians. Third, and most apropos for our discussion today, Paul the Apostle, one of the most anointed evangelists and messengers in church history, had been in continuous prayer for this church since hearing that the gospel was bearing fruit there. And I want to say that again, because it's a big deal. Paul had been continuously praying for this group of Christians that he had never met before and had never seen before, to our knowledge, at least according to the book of Acts, Paul might not have ever in his life made it to Colossae. But upon hearing about them, he prayed often and regularly for them. And we can glean at least three important truths from Paul's prayer 
and his practice here. Number one, praying for other believers will make a difference. Now, prayer to the God of the Bible is powerful and effective. Of course, it's God who answers the prayer, but the Bible does actually portray prayer as powerful. For instance, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 1, 10 and 11, he has delivered us from such a terrible de- death and he will deliver us. We have put our hope in him that he will deliver us again while you join in helping us by your prayers. Then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gift that came to us through the prayers of many. See how the prayers to God bring deliverance and help. James 5, 6, of course, says the urgent request of a righteous person is very powerful in its effect. So we see praying for other believers, even ones we haven't seen, will make a difference. Number two, we have not because we ask not. When we as a church or as people go through times of trouble and are not able to endure them with patience and joy, part of the reason might just be that we're not all praying for each other and that others aren't praying for us. A church people should ideally be fully covering each other in prayer and other groups of Christians also around the world. Number three, considering we are told in Scripture to emulate the example of Paul as he emulated the example of Christ, I think we should pray for those Christians that we hear about. So what made Paul pray for this group of Colossian Christians he had never seen before, he'd never been there before? Well, he heard about them from his co-worker, Epaphras. The fact is that we do not have the time or the bandwidth or even the calling, I don't think, to pray for every church by name in every city around the globe. But when God puts a group of believers in front of us, somehow, some way, maybe through seeing a prayer request on social media or somebody telling us of a prayer request or a prayer situation in another church. Or maybe we see about a group of believers on television. We hear about it at church from a missionary, something like that. When it comes in front of our eyes and into our ears, we can be fairly confident that God is calling us to pray for that group. Go back a couple of days to Philippians 2.13. It is God who is working with you in you both to will and to work according to his good purpose. So God is working in each of us in the area of our will or desires and in the area of our work and actions. And when God puts a need in front of us, then we can be confident that it is God calling us to engage that need. Sometimes we help by praying. Sometimes we help by praying and giving or going or some other practical way. But we should pray attention when God puts a need or a group of believers in our path. And yes, I did say pray attention because when I actually wrote this script out, um, I typoed pray attention instead of pay attention. It was unintentional, but I decided to leave it as it is because even though it's a little too cutesy, it's also, I don't know, it's uh, what we're talking about, praying attention. So there. Further, we can be confident that God will hear that prayer for those people because it was he in the first place who sovereignly brought them to our attention, and he who began a good work in you will complete it. So yes, according to the example we see here from Paul, I think it is most effective and impacting to pray for Christians that God allows us to hear about. And I suspect that when we enter into eternity, we will be astonished to see all of the many answers to those sorts of prayers that we will never learn about while here on earth. So, dear friends, as the Word of God urges us, pray unceasingly. Those prayers are the very opposite of meaningless.
We continue in 1 Kings chapter 14, verse 1. At that time, Abijah, son of Jeroboam, became sick. Jeroboam said to his wife, Go disguise yourself so they won't know that you're Jeroboam's wife, and go to Shiloh. The prophet Ahijah is there. It was he who told me about becoming king over this people. Take with you ten loaves of bread, some cakes, and a jar of honey, and go to him, and he will tell you what will happen to the boy. Jeroboam's wife did that. She went to Shiloh and arrived at Ahijah's house. Ahijah could not see. He was blind due to his age. But the Lord had said to Ahijah, Jeroboam's wife is coming soon to ask you about her son, for he is sick. You are to say such and such to her, and when she arrives, she will be disguised. When Ahijah heard the sound of her feet entering the door, he said, Come in, wife of Jeroboam. Why are you Why are you disguised? I have bad news for you. Go tell Jeroboam, this is what the Lord God of Israel says. I raised you up from among the people, appointed you ruler over my people Israel, tore the kingdom away from the house of David and gave it to you. But you were not like my servant David, who kept my commands and followed me with all of his heart, doing only what is right in my sight. You behaved more wickedly than all who were before you. In order to anger me, you have proceeded to make for yourself other gods and cast images, but you have flung me behind your back. Because of all this, I am about to bring disaster on the house of Jeroboam. I will wipe out all of Jeroboam's males, both slave and free in Israel. I will sweep away the house of Jeroboam as one sweeps away dung until it is all gone. Anyone who belongs to Jeroboam and dies in the city, the dogs will eat, and anyone who dies in the field, the birds will eat, for the Lord has spoken. As for you, get up and go to your house. When your feet enter the city, the boy will die. All Israel will mourn for him and bury him. He alone out of Jeroboam's house will be given a proper burial, because out of the house of Jeroboam something favorable to the Lord God of Israel was found in him." The Lord will raise up for himself a king over Israel who will wipe out the house of Jeroboam. This is the day, yes, even today, for the Lord will strike Israel so that they will shake as a reed shakes in water. He will uproot Israel from this good soil that he gave to their ancestors. He will scatter them beyond the Euphrates because they made their Asherah poles angering the Lord. He will give up Israel because of Jeroboam's sins that he committed and caused Israel to commit." Then Jeroboam's wife got up and left and went to Tertzai. As she was crossing the threshold of the house, the boy died. He was buried, and all Israel mourned for him. According to the word of the Lord, he had spoken through his servant, the prophet Ahijah. As for the rest of the events of Jeroboam's reign, how he waged war and how he reigned, note that they are written in the historical record of Israel's kings. The length of Jeroboam's reign was 22 years. He rested with his ancestors, and his son Nadab became king in his place. Now Rehoboam, Solomon's son, reigned in Judah. Rehoboam was 41 years old when he became king. He reigned 17 years in Jerusalem, the city where the Lord had chosen from all the tribes of Israel to put his name. Rehoboam's name was mother's name was Namah the Ammonite. Judah did what was evil in the Lord's sight. They provoked him to jealous anger more than all that their ancestors had done with the sins they committed. They also built for themselves high places, sacred pillars, and ashware poles on every high hill and under every green tree. There were even male cult prostitutes in the land. They imitated all the detestable practices of the nations the Lord had dispossessed before the Israelites. In the fifth year of King Rehoboam, King Shishak of Egypt went to war against Jerusalem. He seized the treasuries of the Lord's temple and the treasuries of the royal palace. He took everything. 
He took all the gold shields that Solomon had made. King Rehoboam made bronze shields to replace them and committed them into the care of the captains of the guards who protected the entrance to the king's palace. Whenever the king entered the Lord's temple, the guards would carry the shields. Then they would take them back to the armory. The rest of the events of Rehoboam's reigns, along with all his accomplishments, are written about in the historical record of Judah's kings. There was war between Rehoboam and Jeroboam throughout their reigns. Rehoboam rested with his ancestors and was buried with his ancestors in the city of David. His mother's name was Namah the Ammonite. His son Abijam became king in his place. Psalm chapter 97 verse 1. The Lord reigns. Let the earth rejoice. Let the many coasts and islands be glad. Clouds and total darkness surround him. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. Fire goes before him and burns up his foes on every side. His lightning lights up the world. The earth sees and trembles. The mountains melt like wax at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the Lord of the whole earth. The heavens proclaim his righteousness. All the people see his glory. All who serve carved images, those who boast in worthless idols, will be put to shame. All the gods must worship him. Zion hears and is glad. Judah's villages rejoice because of your judgments, Lord. For you, Lord, are the most high over the whole earth. You are exalted above all the gods. You who love the Lord hate evil. He protects the lives of his faithful ones. He rescues them from the power of the wicked. Light dawns for the righteous, gladness for the upright in heart. Be glad in the Lord, you righteous ones, and give thanks to his holy name. Psalm 98, verse 1. Sing a new song to the Lord, for he has performed wonders. His right hand and holy arm have won him victory. The Lord has made his victory known. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen our God's victory. Let the whole earth shout to the Lord. Be jubilant, shout for joy, and sing. Sing to the Lord with a lyre, with a lyre and melodious song. With trumpets and the blast of the ram's horn, shout triumphantly. In the presence of the Lord our King, let the sea and all that fills it, the world and those who live in it, resound. Let the rivers clap their hands, let the mountains shout together for joy before the Lord, for he is coming to judge the earth. He will judge the world righteously and the peoples fairly. Ezekiel chapter 44 verse 1. The man then brought me back toward the sanctuary's outer gate that faced east, and it was closed. The Lord said to me, the gate will remain closed, it will not be opened, and no one will enter through it, because the Lord, the God of Israel, has entered through it, therefore it will remain closed. The prince himself will sit in the gate to eat a meal before the Lord. He is to enter by way of the portico of the gate and go out the same way. Then the man brought me by way of the north gate to the front of the temple. I looked, and the glory of the Lord filled his temple, and I fell face down. And the Lord said to me, Son of man, pay attention. Look with your eyes and listen with your ears to everything I tell you about all the statutes and laws of the Lord's temple. Take careful note of the entrance of the temple along with all the exits of the sanctuary. Say to this rebellious people, the house of Israel, This is what the Lord God says. I have had enough of all your detestable practices, house of Israel. When you brought in foreigners, uncircumcised in both heart and flesh, to occupy my sanctuary, you defiled my temple while you offered my food, the fat and the blood. You broke my covenant by all your detestable practices. You have not kept charge of the holy things, but have appointed others to keep charge of my sanctuary for you. This is what the Lord God says. 
No foreigner uncircumcised in heart and flesh may enter my sanctuary, not even a foreigner who is among the Israelites. Surely the Levites who wandered away from me when Israel went astray and who strayed from after me from me after their idols will bear the consequences of their iniquity. Yet they will occupy my sanctuary, serving as guards at the temple gates and ministering at the temple. They will slaughter the burnt offerings and other sacrifices for the people and will stand before them to serve them. Because they ministered to the house of Israel before their idols and became a sinful stumbling block to them, therefore I swore an oath against them. This is the declaration of the Lord God that they would bear the consequences of their iniquity. They must not approach me to serve me as priests or come near any of my holy things or the most holy things. They will bear their disgrace and the consequences of the detestable acts they committed. Yet I will make them responsible for the duties of the temple, for all its work and everything done in it. But the Levitical priests descended from Zadok, who kept charge of my sanctuary, when the Israelites went astray from me, will approach me to serve me. They will stand before me to offer me fat and blood. This is the declaration of the Lord God. They are the ones who may enter my sanctuary and approach my table to serve me. They will keep my mandate. When they enter the gates of the inner court, they are to wear linen garments. They must not have them on must not have on them anything made of wool when they minister at the gates of the inner court and within it. They are to wear linen turbans on their heads and linen undergarments around their waists. They are not to put on anything that makes them sweat. Before they get go out to the outer court to the people, they must take off the clothes they have been ministering in, leave them in the holy chambers, and in dress in other clothes so that they do not transmit holiness to the people through their clothes. They may not shave their heads or let their hair grow long, but are to carefully trim their hair. No priest may drink wine before he enters the inner court. He is not to marry a widow or a divorced woman, but may marry only a virgin from the offspring of the house of Israel or a widow who is the widow of a priest. They are to teach my people the difference between the holy and the common and explain to them the difference between the clean and the unclean. In a dispute, they will officiate as judges and decide the case according to my ordinances. They are to observe my laws and statutes regarding all my appointed festivals and keep my Sabbaths holy. A priest may not come near a dead person so that he becomes defiled. However, he may defile himself for a father, a mother, a son, a daughter, a brother, or an unmarried sister. After he is cleansed, he is to count off seven days for himself. On the day he goes into the sanctuary, into the inner court to minister in the sanctuary, He is to present his sin offering. This is the declaration of the Lord God. This will be their inheritance. I am their inheritance. You are to give them no possession in Israel. I am their possession. They will eat the grain offering, the sin offering, and the guilt offering. Everything in Israel that is permanently dedicated to the Lord will belong to them. The best of all the first fruits of every kind and contribution of every kind from all your gifts will belong to the priests. You are to give your first batch of dough to the priests so that a blessing may rest on your homes. The priest may not eat any bird or animal that died naturally or was mauled by wild beasts. Amen. Well, good day to you, friends. Godspeed, and may it be a blessed Lord's Day for you. Amen.